And we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Use the promo code HBSports to get 20% off your order. 20%. Remember, manscaped.com. They have perfected the ball hair trimmer. They call it the Lawnmower 3.0. They've sent some over to us here at High Button Sports. I use it every morning in the shower. It's waterproof. You can charge it for up to 90 minutes. It's an incredible tool. No more nicks, no more bloody messes around the balls. One of the hardest places to shave on the male body. Remember, manscaped.com. Use the promo code HBSports to get 20% off your order and start living a better life. Today on the High Button Podcast, we have Sean O'Brien. Sean has actually advised and scouted hockey players for the past 30 years. He is currently working at Maloney and Thompson Agency, and he is the father of Liam O'Brien, who is currently with the Washington Capitals organization. Sean is just a knowledgeable individual from the business side of hockey that I've always had an interest in. He is a Maritimer here. He actually went to Acadia University, so I'm really excited to talk to Sean. We always run into each other every now and then at the rink, uh, but you know these rink conversations—they're no more than ten minutes. So you always have to run, so I'm really excited to sit down with Sean and have a conversation with him about you know also being a father of Liam and maybe guiding his son through the hockey world and helping other young hockey players go through the the business side of the game, which can you know as we all know can be complicated. Um, also scouting, I'm actually pretty sure that he drafted dudes to Bridgewater back when dudes played junior hockey. So there's going to be tons of stories to come up here uh, with Sean, so I'm excited to talk to him. Once again, my name is Justin. We're talking to Sean O'Brien. This is the High Button Podcast. You know what comes next. Here we go. Sean, we are going. Thank you very much for joining the show. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm good. It's been a hectic day. I I, uh, was in my first traffic jam since early March. Uh, going from downtown to Purdy's to get out here to your office today uh, it was the fir- it was literally the first traffic jam I faced in since March so I'm happy to be here that's a sign of things getting back to normal <laughs> I think so the traffic's coming back and I appreciate you calling this an office don't you, that's a that's a great thing I don't it's a good setup I'm, I'm impressed yeah like every time someone comes they, they say the exact same thing I'm I'm happy with it yeah, I'm not complaining it's crazy. Like, how long have you had an office for? Like, you know, I, I've had an office for a long time. I've never had an office before. It's incredible how much work you can get done yeah. when you don't have any distractions. Notice how there's no windows in here or anything. Yeah. I just, oh, it's great. I really enjoy it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a treat. Yeah, yeah. So you, guys, you and dudes, I'm sorry, dudes isn't here today, but uh, <laughs> you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I know it's a lot of hard work. You guys have been grunting and groaning yeah. and and uh showing up at rinks and you, you got to be very resourceful to do what you've done and you've done a great job dudes will appreciate you uh saying that he's not the he's not a happy camper right now that he's not <laughs> here but he'll appreciate that you said that yeah let's start let's start with dudes he before like as soon as you got here you're probably texting me like an hour ago and he's like make sure you bring up the fact that sean drafted me to, to junior and, and not Great a lot of the, exactly so sure, lumberjacks. talk about that because not a lot of peace said like not a lot of people were betting on him yeah. in that draft year and you did yeah, well, you know, I, I watched dudes as a kid. You know, I we lived in Montreal um, for five years, and when we came back, dudes, I believe, is a 92. You're a 91, he's a 92. Is he a 92? Or no, 91? if anything, he's a 91 or 90. We're okay. the same age. Okay. So I remember watching you guys. You'd go to the, you know, you go to the Centennial Arena. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's say Liam was in Adam and Rowan was in a novice, and, and you guys would be playing the next game or the game after. Yeah. And as a hockey guy, I'd always hang around and watch the Pee Wee teams and yeah. the Bantam teams. And Stephen Anthony, of course, was one of the big names at that age group. And Stephen was very talented at that age. 
but I just remember dudes, you know, and I remember the Roskies. There's a lot of guys that I remember, good players. Um, can we swear on this? Yeah, yeah. I don't have a boss. What, what I like about dudes is he, he, you know, he just he's got balls the size of tractor tires. <laughs> he just competed, you know, and he played with an edge. He was honest. He wasn't uh, dirty in a malicious way, but he competed for every inch and. Uh, I like that. You know, there's, you don't learn that. You don't go to hockey school for that. It's bred into you. And uh, I just always took a shine to him. And then when we had an opportunity, I was working with Jim Bottomley, and, and Jim was always a pleasure to deal with. And when we came to draft time, you know, J- Jim didn't get out and do the work and see the kids. He relied on me heavily for that. And every team needs a guy like Dudes. And in fact, I would say today in today's hockey, there's not enough of guys like Dudes. Uh, great teammate, you know, whether it's take a take a shot in the mouth for a teammate or block a shot or or pay a price. He's the kind of guy that would do that. So uh, it was my pleasure to draft him and he had a good junior career. And uh, he was exactly what I thought he'd be. Yeah. Uh, ultimate team guy, uh, warrior, showed up every day. And uh, nothing was ever given to him. Yeah. Everything he had, and everything he has today, he's worked for. And uh, I love that about him. That transfer it transfers into business too. I bet. Like it's a joy having him here. And you know he's listening to this right now, driving out to East Hands probably with a huge smile on his face. Yeah, I'll be happy that you you said that about him. Where do you think that uh, your skill set came into finding individuals like dudes? You know, there's a, there, there's you know dudes is a rare individual, but a skill set of being loyal, being a, a hard worker, and and maybe not taking no for an answer, and, and earning everything you have. It takes a, a certain type of person to notice that, especially as a hockey player, maybe in business, whatever in life. But yeah. in your industry, uh, your job is to find talent. Yeah. Where did you? Where do you think that came from? In in from you, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if there's an innate ability. Um, I think every scout or every you know, every scout that watches players has a bias yeah. shaped from their own experiences. I know, you know, I've become more open-minded to players. Yeah. Um, the game's changed, so you have to be a little more um, all-encompassing in your approach. But for me, um, identifying the high-end kids is always the easy part. Yeah. They stand out. And the question with the high-end kids is, are they manufactured or are they athletic? And I see a lot of young kids that look great at Bantam. They look great at Midget. And where the the crowd loves them, I may not like love them so much because I sort of see them as manufactured hockey players. Interesting. Uh, you know, you put them in a ballpark. You put, take them to the ballpark. They can't throw a baseball or they can't shoot a basketball or they can't swing a golf club or they don't run very well, but they look great on ice. Yeah. So I've always, you know, one of my filters is I want an athlete. I don't want a manufactured player in any sport. And I think that's true. As kids, you know, I played baseball. I played basketball. I was probably better at basketball and baseball than I was in hockey. Really? But um, we were athletic. You know, we played different sports. We, we did gymnastics. We did, you know, we did played every varsity sport in school. And, and today now, the way there's such a focus on, on elite sports and all aspects of sport, whether it's soccer, baseball, hockey, football, it's going 12 months a year. Um one of my filters is, you know, at the end of the day, is the kid an athlete? Um, and then it's character. It's, it's, you know, a lot of kids uh, today, you know, when, when they speak, it's like you can hear the parent's voice. Uh, and I like to hear a kid speak for himself or herself. 
and you can separate those. You know, are they scripted or are they being real honest and authentic and genuine? And then it's just the sheer force. You know, if I, if I think of three criteria, it's aptitude, attitude, and will. Aptitude is they're smart enough to know what they're good at, and they surrender to where they belong. You know, everybody wants to be a top-line player, but the sooner they surrender to what position they belong in, maybe mm. it's that third-line left winger, as dudes would be. He, he would play whatever position you wanted him to. Aptitude of, of understanding that. Uh, attitude is just, you know, coming to work every day, being positive, being constructive, being honest with teammates, um, and, 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 and loving the game. You know, if a guy's going to be a pro today, uh, he goes to work every day, and his office is the arena. And it's not easy. It's, it's tremendous sacrifice on a personal level, but it's hard work. Mm. Uh, and sure, they get paid well, but you got to love it. To really enjoy it, and you, you know, you look at the NHL today. There's some ultra talented players that fade off because I suspect they, you know, they, they don't love the game to the same extent. And the last one, and maybe the most important one, is just the sheer will, and that's just the sheer force of getting better, trying to do something every day to get better. That might be a day of rest, might be a day at the gym, might be a day, you know, taking care of their body. But it's the sheer force, the sheer will. Um, and, you know, you look at the high-end players in the NHL, some of them, like a Crosby, has all three of those attributes, the attitude, the aptitude, and the will. Some of them don't, but they just have the God-given talents. Mm. But most kids need the will. That's the separator. And, I, I, you know, I, I go back to dudes, sheer will, absolutely. Uh, and I think that applies to a lot of kids from Atlantic. You mm. know, there's a, a, a phrase, maritime grit, and I think Liam was part of that. Um, it's true. You know, the kids from here... Um, most of them uh, have those three ingredients, and I think it's the will that separates them. Yeah, Andrew Bondarchuk was on here, I think, uh, about a week ago, yeah. and I was talking about a, a similar topic, and I said, you know, when you played for the Mooseheads and you really wanted to make that jump to pro hockey, talk about your attitude and, and what you did in order to make that dream come true. Well, what he said was, from what he's seeing now to what he used to do when it came to training and commitment was that extra effort. He said, there's so many coaches now. There's so many stick coaches, so many skating coaches, so many specialists. Specialist. He's like, I don't see that guy putting in that extra rep when it comes to running around the smooth track. I don't see that extra guy staying on the ice before the Zamboni comes on to shoot that extra rep of pucks on the ice. He's like, I don't really see any of that right now. And to any kid listening, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm pointing out to every single kid out here and you're not putting in that extra rep. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's kids out there, but he's just saying that it's coming to a point where every Everyone is a specialist. Everyone knows what they're doing when really they don't. And that kid is in almost what you said about is That's the kid speaking for himself. Yeah. You know, and I think it also speaks back to the manufactured player. You know, you show up and go through the drills, but are you, are you is there an attention to detail? I, I, I had the pleasure of being on the ice with Sid Crosby one day, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Really? And uh, we did one drill for an hour. And uh, he started on the hash marks. I was in the opposite corner with a bucket of pucks, and I wired passes right along the goal line. He'd come off the top of the circle to the far post and redirect like he does. He puts the one knee down, re catches the puck, and know, redirects yeah. it. We did that drill for an hour. Now, he must have been tired, but my arms were like spaghetti, plus the stress of passing him the puck because every time yeah. I missed him, he'd give me that look. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to get the next one on the tape. Did you ask him like, "Hey, Sid, do you want to do another I didn't drill?" Say anything to him. You just how, <laughs> yeah. how old was he at the time? He was he was drafted. He's probably 18, 19 years of age. No way. But just the commitment to getting it right 
and the execution and the re- repetition of that. Yeah. That's how you build muscle memory. And it's you can't just show up and go through the motions. You've got to pay attention to the detail and be committed to it. Yeah. Did you see the video we tweeted out the other day? He was at a I saw that. 11 a.m. practice. He was out there at 10.30 doing a movie he's done the in, his entire life. And that's, the, you know, it's little things like that. When we, a perfect example, we had uh, Tim Boyce on the other day. And we're like, what do you think, you know, is there's so much talent coming here from the Maritimes. What can you attest it to? And he blew my mind with the answer saying, you know, these local guys, Crosby, McKinnon, some of these guys that are just, you know, I guess having some guys on the ice and, and showing that there is a way, it's, it is incredible. Yeah. If you have Marchand that skill set. That sorry, too. Marchand. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, and it, and those guys are role models to our younger players. And, yeah. you know, they, you know, you sneak into the form in the summer, they're out there and they're pushing each other. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's no days off for these guys. You yeah. know, they, they, they do something every day uh, to get better. Sid especially, you know, he's renowned for his work ethic. Yeah. I want to talk about being a, a hockey parent in, uh, in today's generation. I don't have any kids. You know, maybe one day I'd like to. I'd like them to play hockey, of course. But I remember growing up and playing in those Bantam AAA, Peewee AAA teams, and you know, going on the ride home with the with my parents and my car in my car, and the parents kind of talking politics and things that are happening. <laughs> Did the, what's that? What's that life like? You know, is it frustrating? Maybe you see Liam out there and he's on the third line. And he didn't play well, and maybe you're mad at the coach. Like, how do you, how yeah. do you approach a life like that? Because my brother played hockey, Sebastian. And I coached your brother. Did you? Yeah. Anyways, I, I there'd be times where I'm frustrated just watching him, and I'm his brother. Like you know, and my dad's sitting old there Seb. calm, old Seb. He, he had the wheels, man. Sometimes <laughs> he we weren't sure where he was going. He had great hair too. But. He had the wheels and the hair. He had no yeah. hands, but he could get somewhere. He could he was maybe a gamer. Yeah. I love Seb. And I, I don't know how, how do you how did you approach that when you when you uh, when you had so kids? So I will say when I started as a hockey parent, we were in Montreal, and I was coaching, and uh, I I approached being a hockey parent with a self set of governing rules. Okay. Because I'd seen it, you know, and I'd experienced hockey as a, as a coach and I'd experienced hockey as a player. And, you know, when I became a hockey dad, I had a set of rules in my head. I, I don't remember what they were, but I really wanted to keep perspective and, and make sure that the game was fun and reinforce the positives. And I think I did a good job until we moved to Toronto and we lived in Toronto. Liam played in the GTHL. Rowan played in the GTHL. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. Um, Kate played in the uh, Mississauga Hockey League and Callum played in, in the Meadowvale Arena, yeah. the Meadowvale League. And uh, Toronto is uh, a very unique place because unlike here where you have minor hockey associations, there, there's no boundaries. So you've got a city of millions of people and uh, at, at January 1 of every year, they start recruiting for their team next year. So it's like an arms race. In January? Yeah. The best teams, there's always, if you look at the division standings, there's always like the Marlies is number one, and then it's the Rebels is number two, and then the teams fall off because every year the top players come together and play. Okay. And I remember Liam, first year Pee Wee, you know, the coaches paid $20,000 salary to coach the team. In Pee Wee? Yeah, it was $5,000 registration. They practiced twice a week, and I didn't see one skill drill all year. It was all about systems oh and winning. And it was a test for me because I didn't – it wasn't philosophically what I was looking for. So I got caught up in it a little bit, and it was all about, you know, showcasing the kids, and it was hyper, hyper competitive. And uh, I remember having a he – and, he and I having a bit of a meltdown one day in the car. And uh, we broke we both broke down. And I remember driving home, and of course, you're always in the car when you're living in Toronto, and I, I realized I'd broken my rules, and I reset. And I thought, from here on in, 
I'm always going to focus on the positives. And maybe the, the only positive is, geez, you had a nice shot in the warm-ups. Like, I found something to be positive. What I find as a hockey parent is the kid themselves know what they didn't do right. I don't, you don't need them. You don't, they don't need us. Well, the kids them. that care. They care. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, Rowan, geez, you had a great first period. You made 12 stops and, and you really did a great job on the, on the break, the, 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 uh, the, uh, breakaway. And you go, yeah, but dad, that's, that goal in the second period was a bit of a stinker. I didn't have to tell him, you know, no. so whether it's Liam Rowan, Kate Callum, uh, always tried to keep it positive. And I've always said the most important drive in hockey is the drive home. Well said. It absolutely is. And it's the drive to the work, you know, drive to the rink is always, I was always working on one thing. I always want them to be focused on one thing, not two, not three, not four. I always wanted to stay within the system that the, I didn't want to do anything to detract from what the coaches were telling them. Yeah. I didn't want, you know, they only have one coach, but I'd always plant one seed, you know, shoot the puck with your feet moving or protect the post on a wraparound or, you know, keep your stick, you know, in neutral position on, uh, when defending or whatever it was. There's always one thing that each of the kids was working on. Yeah. And when they buttoned it down, I'd introduce another idea yeah. and one would build off the other. And on the drive home, it was always, you know, I'd try to find the positive thing, the most positive thing. Yeah. And if there was constructive feedback, we'd have those conversations, but I was never putting pressure on them. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's a game. And even at the NHL level, um, you know, the, the players have to have fun. It doesn't matter where you're playing. It's, it's yeah. a game. And it's best played when you're enjoying yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You listened to who was it this year that came out about, uh, I think it was Franzen from Detroit, and he was talking about when Babcock was coaching him, and he just wasn't having fun those years, and he said he was in a mental prison. Even yeah. at the NHL level, if you're not having fun, it's it's not even worth well, playing. It's kind of like having a boss, you know. Yeah. You know, Babcock, there's no question he's a knowledgeable guy, and he's had success. But he's the boss that's over your shoulder micromanaging you. He's the guy, instead of you thinking you're getting off at 5 and he doesn't let you off the rink till 6.30. Yeah. Or maybe you'd like to get off early on a Friday. No, we're not getting off early. We're going to go do video for an hour and a half. So, you know, I, I think in contrast to Gerard Gallant, who I've, I've gotten to know a little bit, players love him because he's short in practice, gives guys time off when they need it, and he keeps it simple. And uh, he allows the players to accentuate themselves to play their own game within the within the team system. Um but he's not overcomplicating things and making it too arduous. So it's it's got to be fun. I haven't heard one bad thing from Gerard Gallant about yeah. him. Yeah, he's a uh, he's he's a terrific guy. It, where's he living at now? Is he in the Atlantic I provinces? I believe he's back in, in the on the island. Okay. Um, I don't know for a fact. I know he was back there this winter, um, and I, I would be shocked if he's not back in the NHL inside the next yeah. year. One guy who I hope does well is uh, Bonus Rick Bonus. Dallas. Rick is as classy a guy as you ever want to meet, you know, and he's ageless. Like, I, I feel like I remember as a kid going to Bob Bonus Sports Store in, in the Bears Road Shopping Center, and there'd be a picture of Rick in his uh, Atlanta Flames jersey. And here he is, you know, you see him at Oakfield in the summer, yeah. golf, and he still looks like a million bucks. The guy's a purebred. Yeah. And uh, a classy, classy guy, a proud maritimer. Yeah. Does a lot of good work in the community. Great family, great wife, the, the boys, his daughter, they're just wonderful family and he's in the business because people respond to him and they respect him and he's he's, he's a good human being i met him for the first time this year we went up and shot a video for uh, the maritime 
golf tournament with the NHLers for kids right. and he had to cancel it so we went up and shot a little video for him up at his at his place there and met his wife just yeah, yeah. very welcoming people yeah really nice people and he was one of the people that got that started oh was he oh yeah, yeah. he was yeah he Larson was, was, was telling me that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lars and a handful of others yeah yeah great guy oh great I think the stories he was telling me about Dallas and you know, to, he was hoping because, you know, he, this could be his last kick at the can right yeah. now with Dallas. So he, he was on the fence about going back. He was nervous because he's in that age group of yeah. COVID maybe. And but you could just see the the anxiousness in his voice about going back to, to Dallas and, and winning a cup or I guess it would be Edmonton now. But I hope I like because people was like, you know, I hope Colorado does well. I hope Boston. I hope Pittsburgh does well. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm kind of hoping for Dallas this year. I'd love to see Dallas. You know, it'd be it'd be a cool thing to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I want to bring up uh, Brennan Sonia. So we got a text about. Two days ago, or yesterday, I guess, when I announced that you were coming on, and yeah. he was telling me a story about how back when he was playing, uh, I think, midget, you know, he was going through something in his life where he didn't really want to play hockey anymore, and you drafted him, and look where he is now. This yeah. goes back to the first question I had, where did you get your skill set of finding talent and, and pursuing it and pushing them? Brennan Sonia seems like a perfect example right now. How, what was that story about? Yeah, I get emotional thinking about that one. Um, I got Kleenex right there if you're if you're good. I won't need Kleenex, but you know, here's a kid that he can play. Yeah, you know, Adam Peewee Bantam. I remember him getting hit one night at Civ at the Civic Arena by Ryan Davis. And it was like watching somebody get run over by a cement truck. And I thought he may never play again. And then, you know, next <laughs> shift he clears the cobwebs and he's back out there. <laughs> um, and late birthday, you know, born right at the end of the year, the worst hockey birthday you could imagine. But he can just play. You know, when I think of Brennan, I think of Jill, I think of his dad, you know, the family, you know, Christine as well. That was the place you went to their backyard in the winter to play hockey. And the kids would go and play in the backyard, you know, for days. Yeah. And uh, they love the game, all of them. Jill loves the game. Yeah. Brennan loves the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brennan was a kid that always ultra talented, could make plays, but he was small. He just hadn't grown. And uh, his first year uh, midget because of his birth date. Uh, wasn't able to play major midget. Was undersized and played high school. Okay, that's what he was trying to tell me. I didn't yeah. understand that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I talked to him periodically, and I was like, "But just stay with it." And I remember Kirk Thomas was coaching, and I called Kirk, and I go, "Kirk, you say you got to give this kid a look. He can play." And he started playing midget his second year, and uh, it didn't come easy for him. He still hadn't grown, but he stuck with it. But there was a point there where he was ready to quit hockey. In fact, I think his plan was to be a goalie in house league. What? Yeah. Really? And he's like, Shawnee, <laughs> I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a tender in, you know, house league or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, Brennan, you could you could do better than that. So I remember the draft that year was in Bridgewater and uh, I drafted Brennan. And his dad wasn't very happy with me. Darren and I had been friends for we played together and we were friends and I think Darren thought I drafted him as a as a because of our friendship. And it had nothing to do with that. I drafted him because I knew he was going to be a hockey player. He just needed, you know, I saw him as a 93, but he was really a, an early 94. He just needed some more time to grow. Yeah. So we drafted him as a lumberjack, and uh, he played. And uh, he just got better and better. You know, a great skater, great skills, lots of jam. And then um, we had to get him out of Atlanta, Canada to get, get some exposure because he wanted to play college hockey. And that was an ordeal. We waved him through the league, and then he got picked up by Picto, which really ticked me off because um, we'd asked all the teams to allow him to go, and he ended up playing in uh, Fort McMurray okay. in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. 
and uh, you know he had a, had a good season there, and then uh, he ended up getting a deal at uh, University of Alabama, uh, uh, Alabama, Alabama, yeah. And uh, you know, I think last week he signed a contract in the American League with uh, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and uh, I'm proud of him. And he can play. Like he he's he's going to go in there and make an impact, like, and they're going to love him there because he has that jam, a yeah. little bit of show business to him. That gives me the chills. Yeah, that's but, a crazy uh, story. Yeah. So that's one other story about Brennan. So we get drafted, and we have the ball hats and the t-shirts. Yeah. So I call him from the car on the way home, and he's at he's at his house at his dad's place with Hoyles. And I said, Brendan, I'm going to swing by. I got I got something for you. He's all fired up. <laughs> his dad's not happy. He's looking at me like, I think his dad's thinking I'm creating this expectation in this kid's mind that he's never going to meet. Yeah. I pull up in front of the house, and I come out, and I give him the T-shirt. And then and the T-shirt was like two, three sizes too big. It was like it was like a Johnny shirt on him. I love it. he puts the hat on and the T-shirt and goes rocking into the house. It was, I'll never forget it. I love it. Yeah, that's what he was saying to me in the in the text. He was like, "Yeah, I was in the backyard with Hoyles, and we were just hanging out in the sun." And Hoyles knew he was going first round into the draft, so like he went online and just checked where he was going. And then that's when he found out that he was getting uh, picked up, and yeah. that's that's crazy. And now look at him; just signed a contract in the A. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Liam, your son. Yeah. You must be very proud of him. I'm sure you're proud of all your children. Yeah. This is a, a sports podcast. Well, you know, we we talk about hockey, and 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 Liam. He's made he's made the Canadian dream come true. He's played in the NHL. Yeah. Bottom line, he's made that he's had he's had that experience. The business side of this game has always fascinated me. I've never played. I played at the major junior level, but not to a point where you know I've opportunity to go play pro. The business side of this game, I've heard it's messy. Uh, I don't want to get anyone in trouble here, but I guess talk about talk about the process of going through a deal trying to get money in order for, you know, y- your son to play in the NHL. Like, yeah. you know, whenever Liam was on here, he said it was a me- there was times where it became a little messy and it's awkward dealing with a team that uh, that wants to sign you, but, you know, yeah. you argue on money. Like, what's what's that like, the side of the game? Not well, even necessary yeah. with Liam, but just yeah. with... In his situation, the reality was he had no leverage. You know, he, okay. he, he didn't get drafted his first-year eligibility. He didn't get drafted his second-year eligibility. His first year after the draft, he went to Pittsburgh's development camp. Uh, the second year, uh, he went to Montreal's development camp. Yeah. And I think he went to Pittsburgh's as well. And then um, he was in Rouen, around. He got traded to Sherbrooke. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my conversation with, with him was all, all about getting his education. Yeah. Uh, and what university he wanted to attend after he played his 20-year-old year. And um, he got to try it with the Washington Capitals. And he was invited to the development camp, which was probably late June, early July. And at the time, he was in Montreal training. And he had a flight scheduled out of, out of a Montreal going to Washington on a Saturday evening. Okay. And he called me that afternoon uh, saying, Dad, something bad has happened. And I said, well, what, what's happened? He goes, I'm in an ambulance. And I'm like, what? What happened was he had a drill or something, and he got, la- he got his ankle lacerated with a skate. And there's blood. And, in Montreal? In Montreal. Oh. And it was either that day or the next day he was scheduled to fly and attend the development camp in Washington. And, of course, I was concerned about his health, but I was also concerned about this opportunity. So um, his agent at the time called Washington and explained the situation. They said, well, send him anyway, you know. Okay. So he literally went in a wheelchair. He, he couldn't walk. Character. <laughs> so 
Imagine <laughs> you're imagine you're the Washington Capitals at the arrival gate waiting for your 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 free agent tryout to roll in and he comes in in a wheelchair. That is incredible. The yeah. confidence he had. Like I yeah. no, I'm going home. I'll see you home. He went. He went to Washington. He went to Washington. So instead of going to the rink, they checked him at the hotel, which is in on, in Virginia on the other side of the Potomac River in Washington. And okay. The hotel is adjacent to the to the, yeah. to the practice facility. And the trainers hooked him up with some sort of a hyperbaric chamber to put his ankle in and uh, to expedite the healing process. And, uh, of course, the next day, let's say the camp, they had an orientation on the Sunday. He would have been there but unable to participate in anything. And then they'd start Monday and they, you know, they practice in the morning and scrimmage in the afternoon. And they did, you know, nutrition and all those kinds of things that they do in those development camps. And unfortunately for him, he couldn't participate until the last day. And he calls me, he goes, Dad, what do you think? And I said, well, but I think you're better off, you know, taking care of your ankle. And he goes, well, I think I can go. So I don't know whether they gave him a shot of something, but he laced his skates up and played in the last exhibition game. And it was, uh, we could watch it online. Yeah. And in Liam's typical fashion, <laughs> he competed like a motherfucker, if you yeah. know what I'm saying. He, you know, there was no, he, he knew that, you know, in order for him to stick around, to get an opportunity, he had to make a mark. And, and he did. So the feedback was positive, and they invited him back to the main camp. So he goes to training camp in Sherbrooke, had a really good start, and then he left Sherbrooke to go to, to Washington to try out. And uh, an indication of what they thought their, their hopes were for him is they gave him number 87 as his number. And a lot of people think that, oh, he wore 87 because of Crosby. No, that would be the last thing he would do. Not that he doesn't like Crosby, but the last thing you do as a Nova Scotia kid is to want to wear yeah. one of your idols' jerseys. They gave him 87 because it was probably an indication of how long they thought he was going to last in training camp. <laughs> <laughs> That's anyway, funny. he was healthy. Um, he had a good start in camp. Um, and like him, he showed up every day. Um, I think in the preseason, he led the team in points and penalty minutes. And... Uh, I think it was the 5th or 6th of October, we get a call from the agent. We were just hoping, he was just hoping for an American League deal. And uh, we get a call saying that Washington's going to give him an offer. And then we get a, a, a you know, a, a three-year entry-level deal. <laughs> and then Trot says, how would you like to play against the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday night? So. I remember that time when Liam was trying out. And every morning... You know, when you wake up in the morning, you check the first thing that's on your mi- in your mind. I would go to the Washington Capitals <laughs> website every morning and just like, did they cut him? Did they cut him? He's still there. Oh, my God. He's still there. Wait a second. Regular season's tomorrow. He's still there. Wait, Because Washington, they updated it, but like they only updated it like once a day, and it was in yeah. the morning. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I, it was and unbelievable. And he would tell you that you show up to the rink every day, and you feel like there's like yeah. the Grim Reaper looking over your shoulder. Like yeah. You're really on pins and needles. And I said, bud, you got nothing to lose. In the worst case scenario, you go back to Sherbrooke, have a great year, yeah. and maybe we get you a look next year. Yeah. But he just played, um, you know, he's fearless, and uh, he's uh, coachable. Yeah. Um, and where he lacks talent or skill, he makes up for in sheer force, as I mentioned earlier. He, he really is symbolic of that. Yeah. And uh, they loved him. So you find out that your kid's playing his first game in the NHL. What are you doing? You're right on the mat getting the flights. What are you doing? Yeah, we were there right away. Yeah, we got there uh, on the Wednesday. Yeah. We got there uh, early enough to get our custom 87 O'Brien jerseys. And we sat with all the, the, the girlfriends and the wives and families. Yeah. And uh, 
I remember the first shift, I was probably more nervous than he was. And I remember he went out buzzing around and he lost his stick. And he went over and he picked up a stick. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, I'm going to start. And then the second shift, he got in a fight with Brandon Prest. Yeah, we Prest, talked about that on Prest, the podcast. He ran the guy yeah. in the corner and Liam Liam was up on the cover in the point And the guy takes a shot at his D and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. big 87 goes into the corner and takes on this veteran tough guy. Yeah. And he had him. He let him up. And then press turned him around. It was a, it was a pretty good scrap for his first NHL fight. But that fight was the reason we got pressed on our podcast. Yeah, because yeah. he we posted that video yeah. on our Instagram and yeah. we tagged him in it. Yeah. And then we asked him about it. Like, so what did you know? What did you think about that fight? And he knew who Liam was. Like, he's a yeah. pressed as a pro. Like, he oh, knew yeah. who Liam O'Brien was. Like, yeah. he knows who the tough guys were. And he's like, yeah, it was a great tilt. It was his first NHL tilt. I, <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah. But yeah. no, it was a cool thing. And when you talked about maritime grid earlier, that whole tryout process is that maritime grid. Yeah. lifestyle it's yeah. it's it's incredible how many merit was there any like local atlantic canadian guys on that team in washington that year no you know go in here in atlantic canada when you do go away and play hockey it's tough because sometimes there's not many guys from around this part of the yeah. world but when you go to washington you're by yourself maybe you don't know anyone i'm pretty sure you probably didn't know anyone no. and he just went in there and made a name and then made yeah. come on yeah you know tell you a great story so you know, he's at the NHL. We don't know how long he's going to be there. There was an injury that opened the door for him. And I was talking to him every other day. And, and um, you know, when they're on the charter flights, they have Wi-Fi. Yeah. So oftentimes he'd be texting me and they're on the plane. And He sent me a picture one time and it's him and ne sitting next to Ovi. Yeah. And Ovi's kind of asleep listening. And he's got one of his ear phones in Ovi's ear and Liam's he, Ovi's listening yeah. to Liam's music <laughs> no. and he sends me a picture and it's Ovi's head you know listening to his music he goes you know you're in the NHL when Ovi's snuggled up next to you that's amazing <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah just I just want to I just heard the camera go I got to make sure it's recording here one all second. right all good No, we're still going. So where are you going this weekend? You said you're going to Cabot Links? Yeah. You know, myself and my three of my best buddies were going to uh, Cabot Cliffs to play on Sunday. And then we're going to Highland Links for a couple of days. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to go down there and donate some golf balls. <laughs> dudes bought, we, me and dudes went out the other day. He bought like a 30-pack. By the end of the 18-hole, <laughs> we had two left. <laughs> me and him just shanked and right and left, just gone. Yeah. No, have you been golfing your whole life, or is this a new no, hobby? No, I, I didn't grow up. You know, a lot of my friends grew up golfing. Uh, I didn't. Um, I started golfing when I was in university. Okay. And then, uh, you know, in, in my pre-marriage years, I, I'd probably play 20, 20 rounds a year with my friends. And then kids came quickly, and we, we didn't do much golfing. And it's it's not something I do a lot. I'm, I'm fairly busy. Yeah. Um, but I love it. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a new hobby for me. I love it too. I'm not the yeah. best at it, but you get that one hole and you get a nice birdie on it. You're it like, I'm coming back. Shot. Yeah, you're just yeah. Like, right, I'm coming back for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, but no, we're going up to Chester this weekend. It should be a good time. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's a great time. Um, the agent side of the game. Yep. You like it? I do. Yeah. It's, uh, tell you what's interesting about scouting and agencies. As you're, if you're a scout, like my first scouting assignment was with the Quebec Major Junior League. Okay. And I was the central scouting, the head central scouting guy for Atlanta, Canada. So my job was to evaluate all the players, rank them, and then try to rank them within the Quebec League players. Yeah. And in those days, there was no Atlantic teams. So it was truly the Quebec League. Okay. And it was always a challenge for me because 
they didn't play against each other. So I tried to have to figure out how oh, does yeah. Craig Hillier fit in or how does David Ling fit in or Michael S- Johnny Sim or, you know, Michael Ryder. You know, I've got stories on all those guys. And it was always a bit of an arm wrestle because the Quebec League guys thought they were more inferior to us. And yeah. I think there's still a little bit of that, but much less than there used to be. And those teams didn't have scouts in this area. So they were quite reliant on me. Um, and I'd get calls. Claude Julien was a coach in Hull. Okay. And he used to call me uh, and ask for tips on players and ask me not to tell anybody else. <laughs> um, and that's where Ryder came from. Ryder played for 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 uh, Gatineau or for Hull okay. at that time. Um, but what you miss out on is that affinity with the player. You know, when you're working for a team, you know, I draft dudes for Bridgewater Lumberjacks or I, you know, when you're assigned to a team and you bring that player into your organization, you feel like you've got, you got your fingerprints on that yeah. and you, you, it's, it's gratifying. It's not as gratifying when you're, when you're scouting for a league or, or doing central scouting. The agency takes that to another level because you have this long, intimate relationship with the player and the family. Yeah. So we typically start working with players at the Bantam age or early midget age. And, uh, you know, we've got relationships that last seven, eight, nine, ten years. So, you know, um, you become an extension of the family. And uh, it's it's challenging. You know, it's it's sometimes it's very rewarding. Sometimes it's frustrating and mm-hmm. disappointing. Um, but you're on this journey together. And uh, what I like most about it is those relationships. Yeah. And uh, watching the kids evolve and grow. Yeah. And the parents gain perspective over time. In what sense? The perspective. Well, I think. Just how hard it is to get from an amateur to a pro. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, when we're working with families, we, we're we not just focused on the player. We're focused on the family. And I think, you know, with Andrew Maloney, who I work with, and Daryl Young, and Dave Maloney, and Rolly Thompson, you know, one of the things that we agree on is that when we work with a player we're working with the family and we want good families and uh, you know like any sport there's good families and there's families that are not so good so ideally we want people that have good perspective and we help in that the reality and I experienced it you know Liam is a prospect draft 10th overall the Ramuski I had good perspective but I didn't have the right perspective over time you realize where your kid fits and you realize how big a step it is, even from midget to junior and then junior to the pros. Mm. It's it's a monumental jump. And the chances of going from one level to the other you know, dwindle very rapidly. Um, so I think a lot of kids, you know, today, um, the, particularly the strong players, uh, they get a lot of sunshine blown up their butts. And um, and parents buy into that. And, and then w- when you try to promote accountability or try to break bad habits, try to provide constructive feedback... I've witnessed parents go, oh, I remember meeting a family a couple of years ago, and I said, what do you think you can improve upon? And they looked at me like, you know, you're being critical? No way. And I'm like, my job is not here to pat you on the back and blow sunshine up your butt. My job is to help you get better and and uh, focus on providing constructive, positive feedback mm. to enable you to get to where you want to go. We're not getting anywhere if we just talk about all the great things. Obviously, you're a good player. You wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be working together. But so, you know, I think that's where the perspective comes from, recognizing that it's a tremendous amount of work and there's an awful lot of talent in the world today. And, uh, you know, there's got to be a focus on, on improving and b- taking ownership and being accountable and putting the work in and, uh, and getting better. 
Do you find it difficult at all to manage expectations of players? Maybe a player that thinks he deserves to go in the second, but ends up going in the fourth, and that might, you know, hurt the kid's ego, or, and he might not, you know, work as hard. Like I think sometimes I, I think you know one of the things that we say, and, and this year we had I think we had 15 kids drafted in the first two rounds, and uh, you know, in an 18 team league, that's that's a lot of players, and. Uh, one of the, the key messages to families and to kids is it's not the number that you get drafted, it's the fit. It's the team. Okay, sorry. So yeah, I'd yeah, rather yeah, you yeah. go to the sec in the second round to the right coach or the right program that fits your needs as opposed to being first overall or fifth overall. The reality draft day, you know, the Quebec League does it right. They do a great job this year. Unfortunately, they had to do it virtually, but it's a great show. And first round players get to go on the stage and it's it's everybody wants to be a first round player but the next day you wake up and you've got your jersey on but now you got to go earn your keep and now you're part of that organization so one of the things that I think we help the players and the parents understand is it's not the number in which you get drafted it's the location in which you get drafted and the opportunity and the fit so we spend a lot of time you know understanding the team dynamic the educational opportunities the depth charts, and then match, try to match that as best we can yeah. with the player. Teams, at the end of the day, they they decide who they want to draft. Where I think we play a role is helping teams better understand players at, a, at a, maybe a deeper level. It's interesting how in this game of hockey, there's so many variables that you know can create success or failure. Just like you said, you know, you look at a guy maybe that goes to Arizona and he's on a team that's terrible, and he's not. Look at uh, Eichel, for example, right now in Buffalo. You know. It, I'm sure he's happy. Did he go first overall, Eichel? Yeah. I'm not sure. He was top two, top three for sure. Nonetheless, you know, he's in Buffalo. I'm sure he's not happy there right now. And yeah. if you look at a different variable, he went somewhere else. He could have been a cup winner right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of examples of that. And yeah. then there's 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 players, you know, you look with the cap today. What's happening with the cap is you've got, you know, the high-end players are always going to command big money. Mm. You know, you look at Toronto. You know, <laughs> they got five or six guys at the high end. I look at Washington. They're going to be in cap trouble next year. What that does is it affords opportunities to the lower end guys. So sometimes, you know, signing a, a, a cheaper deal enables you to fit in the cap as opposed to trying to command more money. Yeah. I think of a kid that played in Washington, played with Liam, uh, Christian Juice, went to arbitration two summers ago and demanded more money than they offered, but they couldn't, they couldn't fit him in the cap. So they ended up trading him to Anaheim. So, um, you know, the reality is there's a lot of variables to it. Yeah. Uh, salary is one. Fit is one. Obviously, when you go to the NHL level, agents don't have as much say. You know, we, we work closely with their, their amateur scouting staff um, in, in positioning the player, but ultimately they, they make those decisions. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool line of work. Yeah. A lot of it's things fun. that you can make happen. There's a lot of well, it's you know I, I will say you know we don't make the player. At the end of the day, the player has to do the work and has to demonstrate their abilities. Yeah. Um, we try to cultivate that. We try to give them opportunities to grow, whether it's on ice or off ice training. Proper off ice training is very very paramount. Um, constructive feedback. You know we'll, we have players. Let's say they go on a 20 game period where they're not scoring goals. We'll look at video. We've got a, a guy on our staff that will review the tape and provide some feedback. So we're trying to give them every opportunity to grow, but at the end of the day, you know, agents don't don't make that much of an impact in yeah. terms of a player's career. Yeah.
still a cool line of profession. I understand though you, you don't make the you don't make the player, but it, it must be great having a top line athlete. Just you know, yeah. right here he trusts you, and you can, you know, make things happen for him. Yeah, it's, one, it's cool. One good example we've got Noah Dobson, and uh, you know, people here in Halifax are familiar with Noah. Obviously, he played in Bathurst, won friend the of the show, Cup, yeah. friend of the show, uh, and then off to Rouen, which uh, it gave him an opportunity to win another Memorial Cup. And on draft day in Dallas, 90-degree heat, sitting there, we thought he was going to go 5, 6, 7. And he slid to 12, and he was selected by the New York Islanders. And I'd be honest in telling you that the New York Islanders was not on our wish list. Um, but they drafted him. And uh, in, in hindsight, it's a great fit. You know, he's got Barry Trotz as a coach. He's one of the most honorable guys at the NHL. Uh, he's... Uh, Lou Lamorello is a GM, has a, has a great perspective and a track record of developing players. They don't rush their players. Um, and there's an example of, you know, we, uh, we would have talked Noah up to, you know, a number of other teams. New York might have been on the other list. Yeah. But it's worked out really well. No, he's a great kid. When he was in Rouen, I don't think he came off the ice ever. <laughs> they just put him on the ice and he stayed out there. Incredible. I remember we asked him post-game when they won the Memorial Cup on the ice. I was like, are you tired at all? He goes, yeah, you know, I'll take a rest. I'll take a day off and just do nothing, and I'll be back at it the next day. I was just yeah. amazed that he said that. Just I think he has three lungs. <laughs> we, Me and dudes were up there counting his stats because on the Q site or the CHL site, they weren't tracking minutes for the Mem Cup. Yeah. So we just did it one day. I'm sure it wasn't the most accurate, but pretty sure it was, it was like 55, not 55, 45 minutes on the ice. Yeah, yeah he which played, is played super a lot of hockey. It is insane, yeah. but nonetheless, great kid. Um, Hub City right now. What do you think about all this? It's coming to Canada. Um, I have mixed emotions. I, I want to watch hockey. Yeah. But I have a hard time. Um, you know, the governments are in Ontario mandating masks. Um, I think we're going to see that here likely at some point. You look at what's happening in the U.S., they've got more cases today than they did in mid-April. And really, at the end of the day, it's a decision around money. Um the way the CBA works, the team and the owners and the players are share in profits and they share in the losses. And right now, my understanding is if the, if the season doesn't go forward, they're looking at a $1.1 billion loss. So their hope is to dig out of that hole as much as they can. Um, and, the, you know, because the NHL has TV rights, um, they can recover some of that money. And the players, yeah. are, some of the salary is going to be held in escrow over the next few years. But... On a personal level, I'm concerned about the well-being and the message that the, the NHL is sending. What I, do you mean by that? The message? Well, you know, we're we're in a pandemic, and in, there's it, it shows that it, it grows very quickly. And I'm concerned that we're taking players from their families, parking them in a hotel, and living in a bubble for conceivably three months. Um, the mental health aspect of it. There's a lot yeah. of aspects of it, you know, and. Uh, I understand the business reality, and I think the, the league has worked very hard and put a very comprehensive plan together. But I think there's upwards of 40 players now that have been tested positive. And I just wonder if, if we're in the middle of the second round and all of a sudden the St. Louis Blues have a couple of cases and then yeah. all of a sudden there's it goes through the room. You know, I heard today there's a, a Brett Pettit, University of Wisconsin, a, a young girl from uh, the Valley, who's an incredibly talented female hockey player, I, I heard, I didn't hear it from her, but I heard it secondhand that the whole team was asked to go back and train. I understand the whole team has it, or many of them have it. So it doesn't take much for for this virus to 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 be impacted, and mm -hmm. it could spread very quickly. So 
I guess the hockey side of me, I want to see the games. I'm looking forward to it. The as, fan side. From, a, from yeah. a parent perspective, you know, I uh, I have concerns about the well-being of the players and their families. Is Liam up in Washington right now? No, no. no. Liam's home quarantining. Oh, is he? When did he get back? He got back about a week ago. Where, so okay. he's, he's home with his mask on and yeah. he's had a few calls from the... Uh, from the uh, border patrol people just making sure that he's quarantining but he's been very diligent on that yeah they're checking up on people a lot there's been a couple like police uh, house calls and they, yep. they've gone to the house to make yep. sure that you're there and stuff yeah it's crazy stuff but i'm kind of happy though that means they're yeah, they're doing a good job they're on top of it and yeah. stuff is there any word next year at all about the the timeline for the a or i guess it's the exact same thing as the nhl nothing's so going to move until... my understanding is the draft's going to be the 6th and 7th of october uh okay. free agency is going to be around the 6th it's i think it's open from the 6th to october 20th okay so he'll resign in that period of time. The conversations will—they've already kind of casually begun, but they're not official. Yeah. Um, so I think we can expect, you know, the draft to, to happen in early October, and then UFAs sign up till the twentieth of October, and then training camp will probably start mid mid November. Oh wow, mid November. Yeah, that's late. And the thing with the AHL, the thing with Major Junior, you know, I. You can't open with some of the teams. You can't start a season with without every team participating. Yeah, and the NHL works because they've got the TV rights. The American League, the East Coast League, the colleges, uh, junior. These businesses don't operate without money at the gate. Yeah. So, um, particularly in the U.S., you look at the rampant growth of the the virus in the United States. I uh, I'd be surprised to see the American League start on on time. I suspect it'll be around the same time or maybe a little bit it could be after christmas yeah i wouldn't want to be anywhere in the states right now no. or anywhere even in christmas like the numbers aren't going down they're still skyrocketing yeah that's a terrifying place in the world right now yeah that's the thing about focusing on a game of hockey when your well-being's at risk that's what i always say about the the the, the play of hockey during playoffs right now is it going to be top level hockey you know are players actually going to be all 100 percent into it or is the back of their head going to be thinking about their family back in russia back in sweden back yeah. in wherever you know, you know? I, think, I suspect the teams are doing everything they can to accommodate but it's it's and i, I understand that the families will be able to cluster with the players i think after oh, the second they? round okay. I, I, i'm not sure how that works but yeah. that's been built in um but it's uh you know it's unfamiliar territory yeah Anyways, plans on uh, the rest of the summer. What are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, I'm going to play some golf this weekend. Okay. And, uh, you know, our, our summer this year, we normally have a development camp. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't taken place. We've done some virtual stuff. Um, and it's really as quiet as it's ever been, really, yeah. from a hockey perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be interesting with Liam, you know, looking for a new contract. Uh, that's probably at the top of my list in terms of uh, the teams that are interested in helping him get some clarity around that yeah but i think it's going to be as quiet uh, august september you know we're used to getting players ready for training camps mid-august um i think you know it's going to be interesting to see how, th how this unfolds last minute of the podcast is yours you want to thank anyone family friends it's on you well you know you know hockey hockey like anything is a community and uh i've been fortunate as a kid to have good people in my life. My parents were very supportive. Um, had some good coaches. You know, I mentioned Daryl Young earlier. Daryl was a coach of mine at Dow and has been a great influence and a good friend. Yeah. Um, I think the world will. Um, but I think guys like Tom Coolen who coached me at Acadia 
who uh, was fortunate enough to go to go to the Olympics, um, coached with the Buffalo Sa- Sa- uh, Buffalo Sabers. Uh, wonderful guy. I've, I've been, you know, and then Jim Bottomley, who I had in junior and subsequently coached and scouted with. Um, and one thing I would say I've learned from all of these people is a they love the game and b they go out of their way to help and be accommodating and and uh, um, you know all maritimers and I think I try to be like them. You know, I I, I try to. Uh, open doors and, and, and be, you know, be a good steward to them. And I get a lot of gratification from it. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, for the most part, the hockey community, uh, sometimes it gets a bad rap and you know, whether it's violence in hockey or the cost of hockey or the, 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 uh, seriousness of it, but there's a whole lot more good than bad. And, uh, I'm fortunate to be involved and, uh, I love doing what I'm doing. I wish I had more time to do it because uh, I'm very busy with my with my day job. But um, I think if I look at, you know, you mentioned Tim Boyce. I look at Tim Boyce and Steve Kroll and now Tom Lee and Cole Harbor. Um, you know, we're doing a great job here in Nova Scotia. I think Amy, Amy Walsh at Hockey Nova Scotia and Darren Sutherland and the work that these people do, I think uh, – as Nova Scotians, we can be very proud of of the development, not just in the male side, but on the female side. Um, uh, I'm very proud to be part of the hockey community in Nova Scotia. Sean, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing some knowledge with, with me and the listeners. That was awesome. My pleasure. Thank All right. you. Everyone listening, thank you very much for supporting us. Uh, thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend. How about in sports? We're out. Peace. First things first, rest in peace, sucker fear. For real, you the only father that I ever knew. I get my bitch pregnant, I'ma be a better you. Prophecies that I made way back in the veil. For fear, listen, even back when we was broke, my team ill. Martin Luther King would've been on Dreamville. Talk to a nigga. One time for my LA sisters, one time for my LA hoes. Lame niggas can't tell the difference One time for a nigga who knows Don't save her, she don't wanna be saved 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 No role models and I'm here right now No role models to speak up Searching through my memory, my memory I couldn't find one Last night I was getting my feet rubbed By the baddest bitch, not Trina But I swear to God this bitch will make you call your girl up And tell her hey what's good Sorry I'm never coming home, I'ma stay for good Then hang the phone up and proceed to lay the wood I came fast like 911 in white neighborhoods Ain't got no shame about it She think I'm spoiled and I'm rich cause I can have any bitch I got defensive and said nah I was the same without it But then I thought back, back to a better me Before I was a B-list celebrity Before I started calling bitches, bitches so heavily Back when you could get a platinum plat without no melody You wasn't sweating me One time for my L.A. sisters One time for my L.A. hoes Lame niggas can't tell the difference One time for a nigga who knows Don't save her, she don't wanna be saved 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 I want a real love, dark skin and Aunt Viv love That Jada and that real love 
That leave a toothbrush at your crib, love And you ain't gotta wonder whether that's your kid, love Nigga, I don't want no bitch from reality shows Out of touch with reality hoes Out in Hollywood, bring her back five or six hoes Fuck them, then we kick them to the dough, nigga, you know how it goes She deserve that, she a bird, it's a bird trap You think if I didn't rap, she would flirt back Taking off a skirt, let her wear my shirt before she leave I'ma need my shirt back, nigga, you know how it goes One time for my L.A. sisters One time for my L.A. hoes Lame niggas can't tell the difference One time for a nigga who knows Don't save her, she don't wanna be saved 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 There's an old saying in Tennessee I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee That says, fool me once Shame on Shame on you Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Fool me one time, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. Fool me three times, fuck the peace sign. Load the chopper, let it rain on you. Fool me one time, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. Fool me three times, fuck the peace sign. Load the chopper, let it rain on you. My only regret was too young for Lisa Bonet. My only regret was too young for me alone. Now all I'm left with is hoes from reality shows. Hand her a script, the bitch probably couldn't read alone. My only regret was too young for Sade do. My only regret could never take Aaliyah home. Now all I'm left with is hoes up in Greystone. With the stale face, cause they know it's they song. She shallow with the pussy she deep. Shallow. She shallow with the pussy, she shallow. She shallow. She shallow with the pussy, she shallow. She shallow. She shallow with the pussy, she shallow. She shallow. Don't save her, she don't wanna be saved. 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 Don't save her. She don't wanna be saved, don't save her She don't wanna be saved, don't save her She don't wanna be saved